I'm really excited to talk to you. You've built an amazing learning platform, I think, that takes a kind of a unique approach to like the technical aspects of platform building, both uh, from the the platform itself, like what you've built as a business, and then as learners and kind of enabling people to do things that they otherwise couldn't do. I wanted to, to kind of break the ice and, and ask you, like when you approach a difficult new topic, like what's your strategy how do you how do you think about learning on the internet or or otherwise yeah i think i'm i'm just one of those people that do not read instructions <laughs> i will just <laughs> nice. try and figure it out so i'd often just jump into something and then try and refer back to something when it ultimately hasn't worked which happens often when you don't read instructions so i'm i'm a sort of like data and diver into okay there's like a text based tutorial here or there's a YouTube clip here, just skip it straight to where I need to be and find out that piece. And then I think lots of it is like how someone else done it and actually just asking people because often you can find them on Twitter and stuff about like, how'd you build that thing? Or where's that from? And actually things like, <laughs> this is one thing that I was looking at at Egghead for, for years when I was building Makerpad. So I just stole all my site features from other other sites and all the yeah, design. Yeah, I'm all about that. So, That's the way to go. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. So I remember looking at the Egghead pricing page and I was like, I love how it was just so simple. And I was like, use extensions like built with and whatever, just to see if there's anything I could, I could steal. So I'll try and like dive in that way with, with certain things like that. It's funny because I've done the same thing with MakerPad for some of the things that you've done. Like, and, and I, I think that's cool. And, and like, I would encourage people to do that, right? Like, go out and, and actually seek out a way instead of inventing everything from whole cloth every time. Like, what works? And it's not like a cut and paste or, or you know, outright plagiarism or theft. It's just like, well, this looks pretty good. I like this, and it's working. So, like, why not jump to the finish line instead of, you know, starting from scratch? Yeah, and also with like bigger companies you assume that they've done all the testing they figured out what the thing actually like what that sort of page needs to look like because they've got the resources whereas if you're a small business or a one-man band building stuff like lean on what other people are doing or what's working so i think yeah they probably figured I, it out. I would warn people that like copying what we've done is is probably not going to fit that particular description you just uh put out there but you know yeah. i think it, i think it still stands so yeah you have your personal learning style and then you sit down and, you know, like you, you're a teacher and an educator on the internet. How does your personal learning style differ from like the way you approach like creating curriculum? Well, most of our content is video based. Mm-hmm. And I just told you that I prefer text based or I would yeah, like a too. mixture of the, a mixture. <laughs> yeah. I like a mixture. Yeah. Why is it that we've done that then? <laughs> if we've done both done the same thing and think the same, but actually recently we've started making sure that, everything also has the transcription. And then I've tried to tone down tutorials where I think early on a couple of years ago would have been, I'll show you, click here to set up an account, click this button to do this, click. And you just, you get to a point where I think if you're on the other side, you do you want to, do you need to see someone like create an account on this tool? Do you need to see that? Can you just assume some level of common sense and, and sort of tech proficiency when using a uh, website? But Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. It's interesting to think about that level of assumption too, because you're always kind of catering and, and it's like, there's this, do we have to go back to square one every time yeah. we teach something or can we assume people understand login with Google or, or whatever the, the mechanism might be and can kind of jump to uh, pass this uh, account creation bit. And that, I mean, video, like people obviously love it, right? Like YouTube 
exists and this this and you know netflix and and just video is something that we all love and and consume but it's like a teaching style thing or or how we like to consume or or just the the almost like a a a preference like for me i i can watch video on 2x and and enjoy it but if it does not have 2x it's like i'm not even going to sit down with it and i don't know if that's impatience or or what but like the the medium itself is is aggravating to me just because of sheer speed where text i can just scan and kind of jump to what i want and visually map it out or whatever like pattern matching yeah no i'm I'm definitely i'm exactly the same with video especially on youtube if i'm looking for a recipe to cook something i like i open the transcripts of the youtube video because i think every youtube video automatically has one now Mm -hmm. and you can just skip to those bits and then scrub through and all miss all these sort of fluff bits that you actually don't don't need how do you describe MakerPad as a platform i think it's changed every three six months probably it started as a a learning community for want to be founders want to be entrepreneurs we're a little unique in that we teach like no code and no code as a term has become semi-popular over the last couple of years i don't know if we had anything to do with that but if we did, I would have chosen something, a different term for it. So it's difficult because if we want to say MakerPad is the place to learn no code, mm. you've automatically alienated everyone who's never heard of no code. And people, I think if we're trying to reach the everyday people, which I think we are, like my mum wouldn't type in how to build a website with code or without code in Google. She would just type how to no. build a website. <laughs> yeah. So... So they're things we're constantly playing with and thinking around, well, you sort of, you, you can build projects, you can build a business, you can automate work, you don't have to code. And it's just, there's not like a really catchy one-liner in there that we really love and think that we own. So yeah, I mean, there'll be another one out on our homepage in a few weeks, I'm sure. So I'll, I'll, I'll message you about that one. So I'm, I'm a, like, I'm a code maximalist, right? Like I, I will spin up and build a, a full stack backend. And to me, like this idea of no or low code or, you know, like whatever you want to describe it is, it's almost like a stepping stone and just a smart way to go about things that, that saves time and, and kind of removes a lot of technical complexity. Because frankly, no code is a misnomer. Like it's like, as a user, it's, it's no code. But there is a ton of code actually getting run behind the scenes. And I was talking to Quincy Larson. He's talking about, you know, the future where it's Star Trek and you're you're the captain on the deck and you just ask the computer to do something and it happens. Uh, And, you know, like that kind of future is actually pretty interesting to me where we democratize this ability to create or, or build something and you don't have to, you know have learned how to program computers at a, a, a syntax level. And, you know, like, I, I assume that's kind of the goal, right? Like we want to build something, we want to get it out there in the world and not have to learn JavaScript to be able to produce anything at all. Yeah. I think it's just, it's an abstraction, right? So it's just not touching the actual code. You're just touching a UI layer on top of that, that ultimately creates the same code that a developer might when they're spinning up a similar site. And like you said, there's a lot of or there has been conversations around code versus no code but that's not like that's completely missing the point i think it's yeah they're all on the same spectrum of creating software like creating something with software whereas no like the no code bit is just the very very beginning but the really entry level stuff and then as you graduate you start playing with webhooks and apis and things like that and then it's a very like easy slope into actually you want to now write a script for your site. You want to now like start doing that. And then you start learning. You can start learning to code that way quite easily. I think I've seen 
many people doing that, especially on like the advanced when they need to push it a bit further, which I'm sure we'll get onto. Yeah, I don't see it as a one versus the other. Yeah, it's just an abstraction. When when somebody comes to, you know, like a learner comes to MakerPad, what kind of difference are they generally seeking in their lives? Have you noticed patterns? Like what what are they trying to accomplish or what what difference are they trying to achieve? It's, it, it definitely was the people who were told, oh, yeah, cool idea. You should go f- like learn to code or mm-hmm. go find a technical co-founder. It's generally what the like, sort of ideas people usually are in the conversation of let's start a startup. Hey, you talk to your friend and say, I've got a really good idea for a startup. I'm not technical. I'm not sure how to build it. I'll go to an agency or whatever. It's like sort of at that point. No code should be the to me should be the first thought of thing to do. It's I've got this idea. It's basically behind the hood, exactly like Airbnb. There's a form, there's a email sequence, there's like a UI where you can filter stuff. Mm-hmm. The first thing shouldn't be right. I need to save a hundred thousand dollars to hire a developer to do it. It shouldn't be right. I'll start learning to code in nine months. I'll be able to build like a really really shitty version of this. It should be, let me just spin this up and see what it looks like and how how it could actually work. So I think it's it's like the like what we said before with like copying or borrow, borrowing features and things from other companies. Lots of websites could be grouped into very similar mechanics, right? Like yeah. Egghead and Makepad could broadly be put into the same category of a learning platform. Mm-hmm. Yours is built with code. Ours is built with no code. They still do similar things or have similar features. Obviously, we don't have as advanced features, but it's still like I can spin that up quite quickly, and it's the same for most most ideas, really. It it took me six years to learn how to program computers, not nine months uh, before I was able to <laughs> to do something like Akehead. So I think like that's a good point, and it's interesting to me because over over time we've actually migrated away from the code maximalists and use more kind of no low code to tools because our entire team isn't you know multi-decade experienced programmers and it's like if they want to add to it or build it it's like it opens it up to them as well which is another kind of interesting advantage of, of the like just these services because they're taking patterns right like i i assume and, and that's what we're talking about is these patterns like here's the general shape of a learning platform so we can combine these services and you get that shape and, and, you know, like you're going to end up with some customizations maybe that you can't do or need to like expand on, but you can get to that MVP, right? Like this, this point of, of being able to produce something and ship it into the world without, you know, needing all that, that kind of overhead up front and, and actually see if people are interested. Cause I think that's a big, you know, like the, the underlying theme too, is like you know, if you build something and nobody cares uh, and you've wasted hundred thousand dollars and two years of your life making something that nobody's even interested in that's a different discussion but it's also it hurts pretty pretty severely to do that and it happens all the time so yeah i think that that's an interesting thing that i've been thinking about where i don't know if no code is sort of a two-sided coin in that conversation because i could build something in an afternoon or a weekend ship it on a monday no one gave a shit all week and everyone gave terrible feedback and said, this is awful. Like you need to change this. I'd had that weekend's worth of emotional attachment to that project. Whereas if I was coding something for six years, I'd be saying this has to work. Like, or you're 200 grand in with a development team. You're thinking this has to work. And you're, you're then going to not 
quickly pivot or be more open to feedback, you're probably going to be thinking, no, 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 this is the idea I built was this. This needs to work, no matter if the market would tell you differently. So that's like, you can give up on those projects quite easily. But again, I think to be a successful entrepreneur, there is a perseverance, but also you probably need to be a bit clued up and and like seeing the signs either way. It's like, is this worth persevering or do I need to change this? Have you noticed people's kind of worldviews or, or how they approach problems changing as they come into MakerPad and go through your curriculum and come out of the other side? How how have people changed in, in practice? Yeah, so we do like a survey as they come in. We have a cohort course I'm sure we'll get on to. So we do a survey at the start saying things like, how confident are you with knowing what tools to build your idea? If you have an idea what tools you need to build them or coming up with those ideas or knowing how to put them together or like building them and actually putting them out in the, in the open. And the scores change pretty dramatically from when they come in to when they finish, because we try and we try and make people ship, like ship shit stuff. Like that's what we yeah, say like is do it. just build, just build crap, like just build anything. Cause you need to have those reps and that feeling of, I've put something together. I've put it out there. Cool. Like that's not going to go anywhere. A recipe book of just my family meals isn't going to go gangbusters on the internet, but like I've done it. I've gone through the motions. I sort of understand how to like put something together and, and then do all that stuff. So then that just becomes a bit of a, a muscle. You start training, I suppose, where developers are probably, that's how a lot of them learn as well. You like, you build small little chunks of projects over time and then, then you can put that all together. So that's what we're trying to teach is it's not actually that scary to do it. But I think lots of people, they probably use that, they use a ton of things as excuses to even start that building thing. So we're trying to get yeah. over that too of like, no, I've got this one idea I want to build. So no one wants to do that because they just don't want it to fail. And they could build it, but they just, they're too scared. And I think saying, okay, well, if that is, if you think that is your big business idea, I, I mean, we've seen it from the other side, but, like if that's what you think come up with five or 10 other ones before it before you get to that to building that last one then because that'll change definitely and like iterating through the process yeah. get, getting to yeah. the end through maybe a, a more incremental have, have you had any like surprise success stories come out of MakerPad students where it's just they did something unexpected or, or otherwise succeeded uh, beyond their own expectations yeah there was a, a woman in one of our cohorts called cindy and I hope she doesn't mind if she listens to this, me telling her story. But she's a really like sweet older lady who came and joined one of our cohorts and was like, I have no idea what no code is, what any of the tools are, anything. Like I don't know any of this. And then she started getting through the cohort and really engaging, really like committing to learning this stuff, building stuff and sharing with the group and everything else. So that was that was awesome to see. And then she she joined our last cohort as like a returning returning a student and like in the middle of it she was like oh yeah so I, I wrote this script to get this thing going and I was like wait Cindy you've like you've written a script I can't Hold even up. write a script <laughs> yeah I was like where that transformation has been like that's just crazy that's literally gone from zero to writing your own script for your own website so that to me I was just like that's crazy I never thought we well, that's like a whole world of opportunity things. too right like that's completely changed the like roadmap of what they can produce they it's like a new superpower at the end of the day yeah 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 definitely yeah yeah and i think there's lots of lots of things like that there's a couple of people who 
sort of collaborated together. Then they started launching products. One of them was like number one on product hunt and all of these types of things that are like, I think for big business people, it's like they seem like small wins and they are small wins. But I think you need, I mean, I must have had 50 product hunt launches under my belt before anything really actually stuck. So I think you need those those wins, whether however small or or big, to to get there really. So you mentioned cohorts, and I think there's a lot of different ways you can you can approach like participation, like active learner participation, and like on Egghead, it's it's totally self paced. Go in there and you watch it like Netflix, and then there's you know like live workshops and and cohort based, and and what y'all have focused on on cohort based, and and how has that contributed to the success of of learners coming into to MakerPad? I think it's really difficult because I think cohort based courses had had or are having their moment in a world of everyone is stuck at home on zoom people wanted like a connection so i think it it all timed very nicely with oh i've got a cohort and i've got a cohort and i've got a cohort and i've never done one so when we started to say well we'll just teach one and we'll see how it goes and we'll learn from that and i think we're on our sixth one now and they are interesting i don't know like i can't tell which is my favorite like path of education to have as a business i can't i don't know if it's self-paced because there's all the talk about non-completion rates and all of that stuff or whether i like the live element because like sometimes it's it's up to the group whether how successful that cohort is if that cohort are happy to be like, quiet and not share and not really want to like dive in like cindy did then it could be a lot quieter and it's it's a hard it's a hard job it's very taxing to like do a five-week cohort be sort of the entertainer every session and go get people in go do icebreakers you gotta like try and force that connection straight away so they're interesting but the people who do commit to them get so much out of them like cindy that that you can't argue with that i don't know if she would have got there had it not been for the live cohorts like when it works so they, and you have active participatory learners, like that's where the magic happens and, and you can get something really special and kind of, of evolve out of that. But if it's, you know, a bunch of people that aren't really into it, then it, it probably is just, it's almost sad at that point, I would think, or just <laughs> difficult, right? Like it's just hard yeah. to, to get a room of people that don't want to talk to, to talk and opening that up. And there's a, and I think there's a challenge in facilitating too. And I like to, like, I, I, I liken it to Dungeons and Dragons a lot of times where you have to, you know, the the game master, the person running it, that's setting up the module, doing the research and showing up and getting everybody else interested is like the key to, you know, everybody's success and bringing those people in and, and all that stuff. And, and you know, that often works, but sometimes it's not enough. And that's that's a, that's a real challenge for sure. Yeah. yeah. And I think, yeah, they just group people. And actually, monthly.com, they've got a bunch of different courses. And I think the Casey Neistat one is on now. And I signed up to it just to sort of see behind the hood of what that cohort looked like. So there's no live elements there, but you, they they group you with a like a peer, like a group of twenty others. And I think it's what you're saying. It's sort of just you're you're giving the impression that straight away you've like you have a connection with these other people. You have a sort of almost a duty to get involved so they don't feel let down, and you're helping each other out. So that accountability and connection is happening it's just not that forced live we're here now on a tuesday at 9 a.m to like putting you into breakout rooms so i do wonder how like does that live zoom breakout bit need to be happening 
or is it actually just if you connect people together in a group like through discord and slack and all of that stuff then you know like and, and i think that there's you know like there's there both are, are valid and there's there's you know like like if you can do that and you can provide and you help some people and people sign up and and that works that's that's great i am curious like what what's something i'm very curious about do you have a like a formal instructional design philosophy or strategy or or prior like influence in in that space i don't actually like i read <laughs> i read that question and thought I should come up with a good answer for this for just in general life. I should have one. Like I feel like I should have looked into that, but I just, I haven't at all. I just, I've done whatever I thought I, I would have wanted to see someone else do. And that's how like make it back in together and building it. And I just, again, copy from other people. I think I saw what's the guy's name, Chris from go rails was like mm. one of the sites I saw. And I said, well, Oh, someone can live stream that like can screen record their, their stuff and just talk over it and put that up and behind a paywall. That's a business. He's making like 15 grand a month that, at that time. So that's how I started saying, I'll just do the same. I do a short video tutorial like that. And then you just see, see those patterns out like on, on other sites, but I haven't really sat down and thought of thought of that myself. Uh, and you're, you're not alone. And, and when we started AKED up through just even a few years ago, that was kind of our approach. And and for me, the if you want a, a very pleasant and kind of thorough and world-class introduction to that space, Kathy Sierra's Badass is absolutely, her book, Badass, Making Users Awesome, is the best like instructional design primer that, that exists. It is fantastic and, and really a great way to kind of open up into that. Yeah. So I'll, I'll, I'll look, I'll look up that. Cause I think, I, I wonder if like, to me, it's always been a feeling of this is how I learned. Mm -hmm. So this is how I think we should teach it to be taught. Like this is how it should be taught. And then it's just been through, yeah, whatever I thought people do differently. People always do differently. People always don't read and people always don't, people skip things and it's just things like that that sort of throw you off a bit and think oh so we actually changed that thing because we thought this but people don't work like that or think like that and just assume this so something changes that way but yeah, i'll read that book definitely yeah another another recent favorite is rob fitzpatrick's he has it's called the workshop survival guide and how to write useful books and and rob's done this like amazing job of really capturing a lot of this kind of, of theory in, in practical ways too that it, it's fun when you've been doing this for a long time and then you can read something that's like wow like startlingly accurate and i wish i had this 10 years ago kind of smack in <laughs> yeah. the face and that's what he's done so you're, you're sitting around and and you decided to build your own platform instead of just using something off the shelf because there's you know there's there's platforms like teachable and podia and, and these sorts of things and and you went for it and built your own platform and what what was kind of the trigger to uh, DIY? And I'm assuming you're kind of using your no-code tools and stuff too in the process to, to do that. But like, what was what made you decide to to build a platform instead of grabbing something off the rack? I mean, I think part of it initially was it's a challenge for me to build. Like, I'd like to. I'm teaching people how to build stuff with no-code. I can't just use something off the shelf. I've got to show that. The, the thing that they're using to learn no code is the most impressive thing they've seen with no code. Like I needed to sort of talk my own game and I don't know if I just like when I had the skills to build what I feel like was anything at the time, like I know no code, I can do anything. I feel like I can build this, this platform myself. 
you always automatically think, oh, I want to do this thing. I'll build that. I can just build it. I'll just build that whole thing exactly how I want to do it. And it'll be the exact things I want. And then when you try and use something else that is the tool that has been built for that thing, you're like, oh, I just wish that was slightly different because yeah. I would have done it like this. And I'm trying, I've been trying to like stop saying, I'll just build it and then actually building it. Like I've tried, I've tried to stop myself doing that because there are all these tools out there that do the right jobs for a lot of these things. And a lot of them need to be like 80% of what you would have thought anyway. But often it was things that I just wanted a bit more control over exactly how it would look, exactly where certain things would go. And yeah, some of it was just testing myself. But yeah, there's, there's tons. Of, I mean, we use Disco now for our cohorts. We did our first cohort with just Airtable, Slack, Notion. And that's how we did it. We just had the content in a Notion doc. And that was like set up that way. So, I mean, there's so many different ways to do it too. But yeah, we use Disco for that, for the cohort piece now. Yeah, I was going to ask, I was wondering if you were starting today and you were going to build, you were going to launch a course or, you know, launch a, a learning platform of your own design to teach your expertise. How would you approach it today? And that might be different from how you approached it when, when you first started thinking about MakerPath. Well, I found out yesterday, <laughs> I, sent, I sent a video to my team yesterday that Google has something called Google Classroom, which let's people sign up take your course assignments submit them you can mark them there's comments on there you can have any type of media in there youtube videos text all of that stuff all basically free and it all looks quite clean and nice and it's an easy sign-in experience because it's not another thing someone has to sign into necessarily mm -hmm. a lot of people will be able to sign in easily to that and i couldn't believe that i just like <laughs> being someone who has a course platform I just had no idea that that existed and that would have like to me if i was doing that tomorrow i'd probably just set something up in that have a landing page in webflow when you've paid you get an email that links you to that that like google classroom and that's how i do it my my child's montessori school actually uses that and i never before you just mentioned it thought about using it for anything outside of my child's montessori school communications that we we have to use as parents that's that's pretty wild actually i'm gonna check yeah, that out for sure that's that's yeah, great definitely. the other thing i like i love notion and we we've been using notion as a, a prototype platform so when we're like beta testing courses and doing that sort of thing we'll just you know put it in notion and kind of have the content there because people can leave comments and, and do stuff and it's great but but that's that's definitely a, an interesting option and, and i assume I don't know. That, that's probably something that evolved out of the the whole global situation too. Uh, that they've put resources into that and kind of of bringing some yeah. of that back into the Google sphere. Yeah, they must have. Yeah, we do the same with our content before it's ready. It's all in Notion. Everything's like a toggled lesson, and mm. just go through it that way. It's, yeah, it's very easy to just do that and get feedback and tweak stuff. So that's how we plan it, and then. They've got very generous guest policies too. Like a, a lot of you know, like like cost is yeah. an issue, and in a lot of these platforms, just but you start talking about Airtable and stuff, and it gets like extremely expensive if you're you're bringing a lot of people into it. And and Notion has one of the most generous and and just kind of useful guest approaches that I've I've experienced. I wonder at some point if they'll change that. But yeah, I think they also made. I think it was more. It was less less so like this previously, and then they've made it more open. I guess, because they know yeah. people are going to sign up. So, 
What's a what's a, a, a challenge that stands out over over the the years uh, so far running a learning platform? I don't know if it's a very good business. <laughs> I don't know if running a learning platform is a very good business. Only, I mean, to me, that feels like you either have to go the route of something like Udemy, where you have an open thing, people can like put their own courses up. You take a cut, you get loads of venture money to build this huge platform, and it's like very transactional you're just trying to get people in and you're taking cuts from from other people 9.99 this week yeah exactly it's like so it feels like there's a few <laughs> there's quite a few of those types of, yeah, of yeah. platforms or there's the other other side which is more i guess where we are which is like code academy egghead those types of platforms are more this is a single site you sign up you learn here seems like acquisitions but, often a path in in that realm yeah, and it happens. Yeah, lots of these get swallowed up and, and bought, and we were we were bought by by Zapier, but we we're allowed to like do our own thing and run independently because it's not. I was happy to see not trade. a lot of changes actually uh, after after your acquisition. Yeah, we're not a Zapier training tool, and they don't want us to be a Zapier training tool, and it's not that's not the point of what what it is and why we why we joined forces. But to me, I just felt like learning is a very difficult thing to monetize because if i'm like you, you want you want subscription revenue because you want predictable revenue but i never wanted to do subscriptions because i just didn't want the headache of thinking who's going to churn why are they going to churn how can i stop them churning because i felt like it was almost wasted energy thinking and trying to stop that i've never really i've never, get... I've never tried because i agree with you and we're a subscription service and i've never focused on churn it's like yeah i just i feel like it would be a, it would just eat you up and think i'm spending so much time trying to stop someone from churning this year and they might do it next year and i've got them and you think of all that stuff so to me i was like it's odd and also if i sign up for something to learn for learn something and i it'll charge me again next month if life gets in the way, my job, kids, whatever it is, and I haven't done something, am I going to pay for it next month? No, I'm just going to cancel it straight away and think, right, I'll just do that. I'll pick that up again when I've got time. And it'll just be the same cycle might happen. I might sign up three times. So that feels like an odd thing to me. So we never did monthly subscriptions. We did a lifetime plan, which was me thinking, I don't think people would stick around for two years or more initially. So I'm going to charge them over what two years would cost. So then we get that revenue up front. It's good for cash flow when I'm bootstrapping. And that's sort of how we how we started. We just started with a lifetime and started increasing that up to like $600. And we then introduced a yearly subscription as well because people were asking for it. And then it, that could be, that was like $200. And it's, yeah, just, it's one of those things that I just find Again, if I haven't used something in that one year or I can't remember hanging around in MakerPad building stuff with no code for a considerable amount of time that year, I'm going to renew my Netflix and everything else first. And then, oh, I'm not sure. Maybe I will do MakerPad. I'm not, I've learned my no code stuff now. Maybe I yeah. don't need it. So we're always battling with that, or I certainly was. And I think, like, we almost want people to graduate and say, yeah, you, you know how to use no code now. Like, well, they, they yeah, met their can. goals or whatever that they yeah. started out with. They wanted to build a business or they wanted to do something in their life that was different and, and they've achieved that. And, you know, like completing new courses doesn't necessarily add to that original goal that they, they set out to achieve to begin with. Yeah. And, and those people, 
if we then start building tutorials for that sort of person who have they've graduated, they know how to build something like MakerPad, they want to deal with webhooks, APIs, and all of this really complex niche stuff for advanced no coders, which is the nichest of the niche niche things. Yeah, you're just serving a small amount of people. Whereas you should, I what I did early on was just I built tutorials as I was learning, so my tutorials were getting more advanced as I was getting more advanced in my teaching. And then I was like, wait a second, I forgot everyone who never heard of no code before. So we're trying to make sure that we are now getting the biggest piece in that front, like front weight that piece and just have enough that people who can build stuff just want to stick around to build stuff and talk about, oh, that's impressive. I like figure this thing out rather than I'm here to learn the next thing. What's next? Yeah, and I mean, like with Egghead, our our kind of business model is is predicated on the fact that there's a constant churn in the space, and web development is ever evolving, and there's always something new to learn to like stay ahead of 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 where you're at, and that and it works. And like we've avoided being gobbled up over the years, and kind of intentionally on my part, I've chased away um, potential investors for for years and years, just as as like a stubborn refusal and working on the problem myself. Like there, like, and I want to go back because they're like, the, it is a good business, but it is not like a guaranteed business, right? Like you can sit down and you can, you can build an education company and, and succeed, or, you know, you can launch a course and succeed. You don't have to build an entire company or platform, right? Like you can just like teach what you know and put it out there on the internet and, and have some measure of success. It's just how you, you measure that. And whether it's, it's revenue or, or helping as many people as possible. Like there's all sorts of ways to kind of slice up the idea of success. One thing I wanted to, to, I thought was interesting. You're talking about subscriptions and going back and like, how do you price things? Cause that's always a very, you know, like how much do I charge per month? How much do I charge for this? And, and like over the years, over, you know, almost a full decade of, of doing this and having a subscription business, like at this point we know like the customer lifetime value, right? Like, and you take the customer lifetime value and multiply that by, you know, 50%, like add 50% on top of that. And instead of a subscription, why not just charge a flat fee, right? Like you end up like, just give them the lifetime because then they can just access it whenever. I mean, I, that really struck me. I saw that somebody said, well, if you know the customer lifetime value, why not just charge that up front instead of, you know, like dealing with the recurring billing and all that. And I thought that was a really interesting way to think about yeah. pricing versus, uh, I don't know, people expect it too. Like people su- expect subscriptions or, or expect a certain thing. And, you know, like if you're not giving that and they want it, then like, sure, here, here you go and sign up. And it is, but pricing is very difficult. Like what is this work worth and what is it, what kind of value is it bringing to them? And like in your case, if somebody succeeds at MakerPad, right? Like if they succeed in doing what they set out to do, the like return on their initial investment, whatever hundreds of dollars that is, is, is just bonkers. Like I think I, I credit uh, Amy Hoy's 30 by 500 for a lot of our kind of way we established our business early. And and I remember having like a family meeting about the $1,200 that course costed. And we just like this year broke the $30 million in revenue mark from a $1,200 course that kind of like was the spark that ignited the entire thing. And to me, it's like, that's amazing. But it's like, that's also, you know, if you look at the bell curve, it's the definitely on the outlier side of it. Most people just kind of drop out at the, like never really doing anything side of it. So always a fun yeah. balance. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the pricing stuff is, is crazy. And that's, that's just how I thought about it. I was like, well, would I want to have to like sign up for something for hundreds of dollars a year? I was like, oh, I just pay once and that'd be awesome. I think I've seen a few like makers do it. I think Peter Levels with Nomad List tried it. And yeah, I just, I thought, well, I think people would stick around for like, they'll maybe do two years 
But I think after that, it'll be a struggle to keep them here for the reasons I outlined. I think that, yeah, so we said, okay, well, do two years plus $100, have that as a lifetime. If people are happy to pay that, I've not forced them to. I've given them the yearly option. And it was just overwhelmingly, people would do lifetime. They would just, yeah. it was like 60, 70% would do lifetime. And often it's the people who are doing yearly sign up, get the video they wanted, and then they're off. Like, that's all they wanted anyway. So, yeah. I, I tell you what I will not yeah, do again is a subscription site with a royalty aspect. Um, that has been, that's, that adds a whole like financial twist to the entire thing with an ever growing roster of, of content and, and folks that you pay it out. That's been a, what you end up having is a, you end up building an accounting platform versus, you know, like, like the stuff you actually want to look at. And when I had that realization that I had built an accounting platform, I was really, I never set out to do that. Like never in my life would I set out to build an accounting platform. They exist and, you know, bless them for their service. But yeah, it's, it's an interesting realization when you wake up one morning and realize what you've built. <laughs> yeah, I bet you were thrilled. I don't want to say I'm happy to hear you say that, but I am happy to hear you say that because so many times I looked at the, like, how to produce on Egghead site, like just copied and pasted all of your stuff, put it into Notion and thought, right, we're going to have a platform similar. We'll pay out people. That's how we can get content in. This is how we're going to do it. And I was always, always trying to figure out a way that that could work. And I was like, it just, just feels too messy and it feels too difficult. And I just, especially, I think probably the, the blessing of the no-code stack then was, but you're really going to have to stick all these things together and it's going to probably break quite a lot and you're going to have to maintain this. And I was too lazy to think I'm happy to do that. And we just never, never went down the path of we'll do royalties. So now you saying that, I'm like, okay, good. That was a good either forced like obstacle that i i took so yeah yeah and and it's like there's a there's a whole there's this thing called the ethical pool like royalty pools are flawed just by nature and and you can search eth eth ethical pool and it's mostly related to music and like spotify streaming and as the the pool grows it it dilutes and like it's a whole it's like a math mess at the end of the day yeah. and, and you know like getting into math messes and we just like took spotify's algorithm is how we originally did the 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 royal and it's still how it is today and it's been versus the other approach that we take where it's like we we have a course product and it's a partnership with a single person so and and a one-off sale and using that one-off sale price instead of a subscription where with a subscription you you know like it's every month you're having to pay a bunch of people based on a percentage versus like one-off sales where it's like, okay, we sold X dollars a month. You get your cut. We get our cut. Thanks for doing business has been great. And is a lot less complicated than the, the, like creating a, a marketplace, uh royalty driven marketplace, which has been an interesting challenge and I'm, I'm still all for it and we're going to continue. But uh, as we kind of spin up other, other products in, in using the same, methodology that's one thing that we've we've dropped to the wayside because it's it's really quite complex and you know is there a no code accounting platform i don't think so like you're going to be full code at that point so yeah exactly it just sounds like a <laughs> sounds like a headache so no and that, that's a that's a this is my last question and i want to know like at, at what point do you hit the limits of no code have you hit those limits and when do you have to you know break it out and and start like building custom or or is it something you think you can get away with perpetually I mean, you can get away with it for a long, a long time, I think. And I think it's a lot longer than people think. I mean, we're three years, yeah, three years old. Oh, you know, that's not a long, that's a, not a long life long. saga for business. <laughs> yeah, I guess. And that like tens of thousands of users, like hundreds of thousands of 
dollars in revenue. Nothing's ever like the site's never gone down for any reason other than like a Cloudflare issue or whatever. Things things break, but like they do on every side, there's bugs here, there, and everywhere. But we did have a point where so we use Webflow and we use their CMS for all of our tutorial content and. Things are slow on our side because we just have so much content and it's just, yeah, it's slow. But as our like maturity as a company, the amount of content and stuff was increasing over time, sort of Webflow is getting better over time too. And they're trying to, they want you to be able to do everything without code because that's, yeah. there's no better, like, there's no better promo for their business to say that this whole thing's built on Webflow. So, they're always working on new things and they got a membership beta out now and all of that stuff to help like sort of relieve some of the other tools added to the stack. But we, yeah, because of because we had the CMS, we had all of our users in that CMS because I was desperate and adamant to have everyone have a public facing profile. So you could show what tools you've used and what tutorials you've completed and all of that stuff. They just wanted that really, really badly. And the only way we could figure it out was to have the Webflow CMS. And then we got to the 10,000 CMS limit. Then we had to think, right, well, what are we going to do? Because we can't do this. I hired a developer and we worked on sort of linking the Webflow site with Firebase. So then there was like one profile page and it was like dynamically being rendered by data on Firebase. So we tried that for a bit as well. And then it was just like, well, it's... Turned out no one was really using the feature anyway. It was just something I was adamant to build. I wanted that thing. It felt like one of the things that had to be in a platform like ours. Yeah, so we, we got rid of that and then we're back to all no code at the moment and still haven't ever figured out the profile piece of where we would do that. So when Webflow said the membership stuff, that that was exciting. But yeah, we'll, we'll see how, how that goes. But yeah, you can build a lot of things with no code. I think it's... I'm not going to pretend that you can do everything because I don't want a load of developers that's coming after me. But <laughs> you can certainly do, like you can run a successful business. You can run a, run like millions of dollars through it. There's like, there's so much you can do other than like just MVP. You got a website up and people can give you their email. It's like, it's so much more than that. So I don't want, I don't like when people just sort of brush it off as that. But I, yeah, there's, we're always going to need, need developers. We need the developers to build the tools that we're using. Yeah, I mean, the, like, the no-code itself is going to need an army of, of developers yeah. behind the scenes doing that for, for sure. I think, like, in, in particular, if you're talking about building course platforms or, or delivering, like, an educational content or if you're an expert and you want to, like, share your knowledge and charge people an entry fee, I think, like, the no-code stack has so, like, that level of application development is is very prime for for the space and and something you know, like even now as I'm I'm thinking about starting up another like a my own course and and thinking about what platform and I have you know this this bespoke platform I built I'm intentionally not using my platform and tools that I've had at my disposal and thinking about it like okay I want to do this like how would I do this if I I didn't have all that at my disposal and that's you know like kind of where this conversation actually stemmed from is like I want to like think about building and teaching you know, from the perspective of I don't have a bunch of, you know, like a, a, a full stack that I've, I've just, I've, I've, I've sunk millions of dollars into building a, a stack and, and I love it and it's very effective, but like, what would I do if I didn't have that today? And, in, in, in you know, like in 2022, so that's, that's been an approach I've been thinking about too. And, and it's, it's really cool to see what you built 
and what other people are building and, and can build uh, without getting into, you know, like opening up a code editor and, and the terminal and, and firing up Postgres databases and, and doing all that stuff. It's really fascinating to me uh, and, and awesome, actually. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, I think of that every probably three months, much to the delight of my team. <laughs> it's if we were going to start this all from scratch, if we if we deleted everything, what would we do? Are we teaching things in the right way? Should we do this? Should we do that? So we are actually making some changes soon because I've even seen things like Free Code Camp. It's just such a simple. Like I can see their CMS structure would be so simple because everything's classes the same type of content. They've got their like structured curriculum, and it's just even things like the student directory just takes you to LinkedIn. Like you don't have to build your own. Like I, I said this earlier, but you don't have to build the thing. Not everything has to be built from scratch and has to have all of your. I'd say it probably it. built from scratch and probably you know like like exactly. do what you want. I'm not telling anybody how to live their lives, but like you can make your life a little easier and maybe like value to the people you're trying to help in the first place quicker and like prove out your ideas and, and reach what you have set out in terms of success in, in a, a, a way that I don't know, isn't as painful or expensive or, or time consuming, you know, kind of get on with your life. Yeah. But I think again, it's one of those procrastination things that people use to say, no, this, this platform is different though. This, the course I'm trying to do is actually very different to what other like teachable and all these others can, can give me. And it won't be the same unless it can be this way and really know your idea is not that unique. Just get on with it and use the tools on there. That's yeah. I am a snowflake, Ben. <laughs> Apologies. <laughs> I really appreciate it. I, I thank you. Uh, thank you for building MakerPad and, and kind of enabling this because I think it's a, a value add to the world. And I, I hope more people like get in there and explore and build and create using these tools because it's it really does open up a lot of opportunity. I really appreciate it. Thanks very much. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it.